Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me for another installment of The Canteen, a weekly segment where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This past Sunday, Pastor Blake continued our series in 2 Thessalonians called All Other Ground is Sinking Sand. He encourages us this week to stand firm because God has always had a plan to deliver us to safety. We'll be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. So let's listen in as Pastor Blake brings us this week's message. All other ground is singing the same. We're about halfway through this uh, series as we walk through the book of 2 Thessalonians. If you've got a copy of God's Word, whether on your phone or a physical Bible, uh, I want to invite you to, to find that there. Uh, it's after 1 Thessalonians. This is cheat code that I use every week. Okay, And while you guys find that, um, we actually have a really neat opportunity that's kind of unique this week, and I want to invite you guys into that. So uh, we have been working towards this new partnership with uh, God's Appalachian Partnership, and uh, there was a team of people that, that gone, they went down there to, to McDowell, Kentucky, in eastern Kentucky, uh, met the, our ministry partners there, began to serve with them. And uh, they came back, and, and you can actually hear about their trip on The Backpack, our podcast here at CCC. And, uh, you know, anytime you form a partnership, it always goes two ways, right? And, and you hope that a partner will let you know when they need help. And that doesn't always happen. But this week, we had a really unique opportunity because they called and they said, Hey, you all did a great job serving with us, and uh, we know this is really fast, but we need you next week because we're still serving people every day, hundreds of people, and we're trying to get ready for the big Christmas push that we make with the Christmas store and helping families with that down here in Eastern Kentucky. Can you come next week? And so we said, you know what, we're going to try. So this Thursday, um, we've already got a few people that have said yes, but if you would like to go, it's a kind of a long day, right? Leave early, get back around five or six in the evening. Um, but we need a few more people who would say yes to that this week. So um, think about that. Actually, don't think about that. Just go and then think about that. All the chaos that will create in your life, it'll be great. The Lord will use it, and he'll remind you that all other ground is sinking sand. Good plug there. That was a good segue. Woo! If you want to do that, find Katie after the gathering today, all right? Okay? Today, as we jump into God's Word, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, all right? And like I said, we're halfway through this book, and we've been trying to, to receive what the Lord has for us as we understand what Paul was communicating to the Thessalonians. Chapter 1, you may remember or not, invited us into this, to the hurt the, the, that we've all experienced in life that causes us to disengage. And we were reminded that Jesus is both a victim and a victor at the same time. And, and he understands and invites us to live a life that's worthy of his call in our lives. Last week we started chapter 2 and it brought us to this issue of deception and uncertainty. And we were reminded that Jesus always comes at just the right time. And because of that, because of that, right, this is a huge thing. Because he always comes at just the right time, it allows us to say yes to slowing down. That it's actually beneficial for us as followers of Christ to slow down. But just understanding, right, understanding that it's good to slow down doesn't actually change our lives because there's still a lot of questions about how do we do that. And, and, and at the core 
of that question of can I slow down is another question that the Thessalonians wrestled with and that we have to wrestle with. And that question is, is it safe to slow down? In this doggy-dog, hurry, be success world, is it safe to slow down? We're going to consider that as we read this, this back half of the, the chapter today. So if you would, follow along with me on the screen or in your Bible, beginning in verse 13. Paul writes, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. And hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that being the steadfast thing that we can hold on to and stand on. Lord, we know that your word tells us who Christ is, and it tells us who we are. Today, I pray that everyone that listens, whether here, online, later, whatever, Lord, I pray that they would come to this point where they know that there is nothing better. There is no solid ground outside of Christ, and that they give their lives to that and to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We feel unsafe in the world. Everybody shows it a little differently. Some don't show it at all. Some show it constantly, but we all feel unsafe in this world. And we want safety and stability. We question how much of that is a good thing. We work to provide our own safety. And at the end of the day, there's so much about safety and being safe and the perception of being safe that ends up driving who we are and what we believe. The Thessalonian believers were feeling unsafe about a lot of things as Paul writes this letter to them. We've kind of hit on them the last few weeks, but maybe not in such a clear way. You see, the Thessalonians were feeling unsafe about their physical well-being. You may remember, or maybe you've talked about it in a community group, um, from Acts, the story of the early church in Thessalonica. Jason, one of the believers there, was, was drug into the street. Uh, he was drug into So their physical well-being is, is in question because of their faith in Christ. But it wasn't just that. It was also their mental and their spiritual well-being. You may remember this from last week, verses 2 and 3. Paul says, don't be easily upset or, or troubled, uh, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. You see, it wasn't just the idea of being physically unsafe that was bothering the Thessalonians. There was their mental well-being to consider. There was their spiritual well-being to consider. And that gives us a sense of, of solidarity with the Thessalonians because not much has changed, has it? You and I, we, we still feel safe, unsafe at times about our, our physical well-being. Maybe not immediately, maybe not in this moment, but the reality is that we've got to go to work to pay the bills. We pay the bills so that we have a roof over our head and food to eat. 
And so this question of slowing down, it, it becomes a real challenge because it's like, man, if I slow down, will, will that resource be there? So we end up buying this lie that if we don't slow down, we'll, you know, we'll eventually have everything we need. I, I can make myself safe. We think about being unsafe in our mental well-being. We tell ourselves if we don't slow down, we don't have to think about or process the things in life that are hard. We, we don't have to, to mess with those. We don't have to make sense of, of life. We can just press on and go. We don't have to think about things that have hurt us. But still even more, right, in the same way, our spiritual well-being. In, in our spiritual well-being, there are times where we feel unsafe. And, and we begin to ask questions like, do I have confidence in my relationship with the Lord? Do I know that I know that I know Him and His salvation? And if I have any doubts about that, right, there's any question in me. There's a hesitation when someone asks me about that. It often ends up in in this flurry of activity where I'm trying to prove to myself and to others that I'm a good person, that the Lord is with me. We feel unsafe in this world. All of us do at different moments and times. And we want safety and stability. It's, it's not wrong to desire that, right? It is not wrong to desire safety and stability. The kingdom that you and I were made for is completely safe and eternally stable. It's a good place. So it's not wrong to want safety and stability. But what we don't realize is that what we, can, what we desire can do to us, we don't realize what we desire can do to us while we are living in this unsafe and sinful world, Right? That desire can become twisted. It can push us to take wrong actions instead of right ones. There was some research that was done by a professor from the University of California. And in, in that research, uh, he began to show that it's our wishes, our hopes, our fears, and our motivations that often make us more likely to accept something as true. We have the ability to be rational, the ability to be logical people, but, but it's often those other things, those softer things that, that cause us to believe something is true. It, it's not if something is true that's convincing to us, but rather if it supports what we want to believe. It's kind of a scary thought. They gave some common examples to help wrap our heads around this idea. Uh, in one test, they had people who were coming in for some regular testing, and they gave them a negative test result for a fictitious pancreatic disorder. Almost every person that they gave that to went and sought a second opinion. They didn't want to believe that that was true, right? In that case, it wasn't, but you get the test, right? Uh, another example was, was this, and, and most of us have probably experienced this. They did a test and they realized that a person was much quicker to share a political article on social media if it supported their beliefs. But conversely, they were more likely to fact check a story that didn't align with their beliefs. Has that been you? You see, so many of us make assumptions about what is true and about what we believe uh, based on what is comfortable for us. In general, it takes more information to make you believe something you don't want to believe rather than something you do want to believe. But none of that actually affects what is true. So what does this mean? This means that that when we are afraid, when we feel unsafe, when we're hurting, we often believe what makes us feel the most safe instead of believing what is true. You see, there's being unsafe and there's the perception of being unsafe. And many times it's the latter that determines by what truth we live our lives. I'm reminded of Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. 
And in this, the prophet writes, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? We usually just stop there, but I love what it says next. It says, I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. You see, when we subconsciously realize that we can't even understand our own heart and our, and our desires, when, when we begin to subconsciously realize that, that I don't even understand myself sometimes, you know what we do? We begin shrinking our world and our existence down to what we perceive to be safe. We make truth something that we can control. And then, because you don't want to believe that you aren't in control, you slowly and quietly reject the only being that can give you safety and stability. God. That's what makes these next few verses that we read together in Paul's letter so vitally important to the Thessalonians and to us. So Paul writes in 13 and 14, We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification, by the Spirit, and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that this starts with but, right? If you remember from last week, or or if you just read back a few verses, there's this group of people that Paul addresses who don't believe the truth. A group of people who will die without really knowing the truth, who weren't saved. And Paul is saying here in verse 13, listen Thessalonians, that's not you. There's a a but here. You're you're not in that group. On the other hand, you are not like them. And because of that, we ought to thank God all the time for you. God loves you, and you love him. You know, it's almost like Paul's trying to pull the plug on the the tension in the room. It's like, thank goodness. Oh, okay, the reader can rest easy if I know the truth about Jesus. Then he says, because from the beginning, the ESV version says it's the first fruits, right? The priority for God from day one, his choice, his delight, his pleasure was to save you, to save you. God has always had a plan to deliver you to safety. God has always had a plan to deliver you to safety, to rescue you, no matter how lost, no matter how afraid, no matter how broken, no matter how discouraged, depressed, defeated, no matter how addicted, God has always had a plan to rescue you and to deliver you to safety. There's some comfort in that, in knowing that. In 1907, there was a man named Jesus Garcia. We've got a picture of Jesus on his horse. In 1907, he was resting in a small town called Nakazari in Mexico. Garcia was a brakeman on a train. He stopped the train. Okay? And this train happened to be stopped in this, in this small mining town of Nakazari. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, pronunciation of that, right? So he's sitting at the station, he's, he's taking a rest, and Garcia noticed that there's a fire that's broken out on top of one of the train cars. Now, that's a problem, right? Like, like we can all agree, that's a problem. But Garcia had information that made that even more of a problem, because he knew that in the car on which that fire rested, it was full of dynamite. So now you have this small mining town with a train parked outside and a flaming car of dynamite. This is not a good situation. 
Jesus Garcia had, had no time to come up with a plan. So he springs into action, he courageously jumps on the train, and he drives it away from town as quickly as he could. He gets four miles outside of town, and, I mean, can you guess what happened? The train explodes. It killed Jesus and 13 others. But his quick thinking saved many others who were in town from death that day. He became a national hero. Uh, apparently now there are statues, streets. The city added uh, part of his name to their name. Uh, songs have been written about him. Uh, he, is, he is an incredible hero for what he did in, in that moment. It was an incredible act of courage to rescue someone else. Now, as incredible as that act was, it makes me realize how incredible the act of Jesus was. You see, Jesus took sin the very thing that blows up our lives and kills us, he took that outside of town, outside the gates. He bore the weight, the weight of our sin on the cross. It literally killed him. But here's the kicker. Jesus had always known his plan to rescue and deliver you to safety. It's been his first priority. Whereas Jesus had to do something in the split second, Jesus Christ knew from before time that he was going to do this for you and for me. That's an incredible act. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Jesus chose to give up his life long before he would ever have to. He chose to rescue others from death through death. But then he defeated death by coming back to life. So when Paul writes this, right? When he writes this to the Thessalonians and says, man, he chose you for salvation. It's an incredible, incredible thing. And now he's inviting you to that same eternal life. And this passage shows us how his death delivers us to life. It shows us how he delivers us back to to safety. How he puts our feet on solid ground. It says first, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Through sanctification by the Spirit. You see, after Jesus' resurrection, he eventually returned to heaven to prepare a place for us. In his place, he sent the Spirit who is preparing us for that place through a process that Scripture calls sanctification. It's the process of being made right and holy. It's it's the process of being made ready for heaven. So when Paul says that God is choosing you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, he's saying here's one way you can know that you can have confidence that Jesus is delivering you to safety and salvation. The Spirit won't leave you alone about your sin. He keeps convicting you little by little, cutting away all that is not holy and making you holy through obedience to God's word. Do you see the encouragement in that? We want to be done with the wrestle, but the wrestle is actually a sign that he is working. It's a reminder that God is real and he has a plan to rescue you, to make you holy. But it's not just that. There's more throughs. Yes, through sanctification, but also through belief in the truth. See, as the Spirit makes you aware of sin, you have a choice. What do I believe is true about me? Do I believe that the sin I'm being convicted of makes me a sinner? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is, do you believe that truth? Do you believe that you are a sinner? 
It's hard to believe because it makes you feel like there's a train car full of dynamite in your life that has a fire on top. It's hard to believe because you don't want to face the things in your life that aren't right. We are rescued. We are chosen through belief in the truth. Not only the truth about us, but also the truth about the gospel. Paul says in 14, he called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has always had a plan to rescue you, to call you, and to deliver you to safety. And he called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, that's the truth about us, Christ died for us. But then I love verse 9. We sometimes leave that out. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? You see, we have to believe that this is true, that we are sinners and that God rescued us from that sin. And in that, we are delivered from our wrath. I love the way that John echoes and affirms this thought in 1 John chapter 5. There's this section that, that I just have to read to you. It's just, it's that good. It says, Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ. He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony... God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. And the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. and The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, confidence, solid ground in Christ alone. Blake, I've followed Jesus for a long time, right? Why are you reminding us of this simple truth? Why is it important to go back over the basics? Because it is this truth truth about who we are and who God is that gives us a place to stand firm in the most difficult and trying times in life. When we lose loved ones, we are reminded that our sin leads to death, but God gives eternal life. When we are dealing with conflict, we remember that our sin wrecks things and God's grace puts them back together. When we are uncertain about the future, we remember that our sin creates uncertainty and our God never changes. When we're going through divorce or or difficult times with our adult children, we are reminded that we are sinners and God always gives grace. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Paul concludes in verse 15. So then, because of that, because of this truth, this simple truth that's so hard at times to apply to our lives because we don't want to be sinners, but when we apply it, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. Stand firm. Stand firm. 
had the uh, joy this week of spending some time with uh, the, I don't know what they call themselves, we'll, I'll call them the senior saints of classic worship at Simpsonville Baptist, good brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, there's a lady there named Sue Ellen Barnes, and she was sharing a, a short devotional, and in that she shared about tuning a piano. Now, I don't know if you've ever, most people probably haven't done this, right? It's not something you just pick up and do, but, but she began to share about this process because her husband tunes pianos. And she held up this, this machine, this tuner, and uh, she, she began to talk about this process. And she said, you start with the, the A. You start with the A. And she said, there's three strings that, that you know, move together to make the sound of an A. And she said, so, so you, you get the, the middle string and, and you get it to the right pitch, and then you match one on the side, and then you match the other. And those three together strike out, and they make the one sound that you hear when an A is played. She said, then from there, you tune everything uh, about the piano to that note, to that A, the B, the C, the D, right? She said, here's what's really interesting about that process. She said, there's a lot of pianos in the world that when they are played by themselves, they sound incredible because they're in tune with themselves. They're in tune to that A. But what they don't know until they play with another instrument is that that A was wrong. And as soon as that piano begins to play with another instrument, you, you hold your ears. <laughs> because it's completely out of tune. You see, if you don't have a tuner to tune that first A, you can actually create a situation where the piano is in tune with itself, but it's actually wrong. Played alone, the piano sounds fine, but with other instruments, it's going to be out of tune. And our lives are the same way as it relates to the truth of Scripture, of who we are, and who God is. Untuned. Everything can seem fine. Life's great. It's good. Life is giving to me what I expect of it. But then anytime there's conflict with someone else, anytime I've got to interact with someone else, there's something that's just not quite right because we're out of tune with the truth, the one truth of our Creator God. This is why at Christ Community, we want to model in everything we do that we are standing on God's Word, the only solid ground that we have, right? We're going to start the gathering with Scripture. We're going to sing words from Scripture. Our covenant is filled with Scripture. In groups, we're always going to study Scripture. In community kids, we're always going to study Scripture. In students, we do Scripture. Our mission and vision come right from Scripture. You get the point. Why? Because Scripture makes sure we're not in tune with each other and out of tune with God's truth. But here's the thing. We can do that till we're blue in the face. And if you guys don't carry that into your personal lives, it doesn't matter. We want you to carry this over and apply it into your lives. What does Scripture say about the financial decisions that I and my family are making? What does Scripture say about the business decisions that I'm making or the career choices that I'm making? What does Scripture say about managing conflict with all those family members I have to go see at Thanksgiving in a couple weeks? What does Scripture say about my life goals and my ambitions? What does Scripture say about how I'm navigating the week-to-week -week in my schedule? Because you see, in Scripture, in truth, God is continuing to change and mold and shape us, not to who we want to be, but to who He created us to be, to the truth of who we are. Because although we are sinners in Christ Jesus, 
we are reminded that we are created in his image to reflect the glory of Christ to the world. So how do I begin to engage scripture? How do you do that, right? One simple step might be to use the Bible app and just to begin to pour into the, the reading plans that are there and to familiarize yourself with, with what Scripture is or to get you a real physical Bible. I love the story uh, that was shared with me this week and uh, a guy in the church, I'll leave it at that for today, a guy in the church texted me and said, hey, you challenged us a couple weeks ago to get a real physical Bible. And he said, I've been doing that. I've been taking it with me, reading it at work, things like that. It was sitting in the back of my car and my daughter picked it up and she began reading the words of Scripture to me while we were driving down the road. He said, that never would have happened if it was on my phone. But that was big. How do I begin to engage with Scripture? You engage with the other people in our community, right, that are doing the same thing, whether through community groups or discipleship groups. Uh, you jump into those things. But here's the other thing that I want us to see before we finish up today. Paul says, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. That's what we just talked about. Stand firm on the truth. Then he says, and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. You see, there's this reality that standing firm in truth is also about holding on to community, to people that do the same. So Christ's community, as a covenant family, we've, we've brought new people into the family today. We've talked about this, this idea of moving forward together. We have to stand firm in what God has told Christ Community Church to do. We need to be reminded of what God's Word has instructed us as a body of believers to do. And for us, it's always come back to Hebrews 13. I want to read it for us. It's important that we are reminded of this truth. It says, Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate, so that he might sanctify the people. There's that word, right? Get us ready for heaven by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp. We need to join Jesus. Bearing his disgrace. That means sometimes we're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. For we do not have an enduring city. Instead, we seek the one to come. Y'all, we need to be reminded that, that the truth God has implanted in this body of believers is that we would be serving our community, that we would be willing to bear the reproach, to, to bear his disgrace, that we are always sharing Jesus, right? We are joining him. We're saying whatever we're doing, it's all glory to him. And we are sending people because the city that we live in right now will not endure. We're seeking the one to come. And so we need to send people to tell people about that city. I love hearing about Stormhaven, serving there. I think back to the early days of working on an Operation Care Home. There's a picture on the back wall of the home, the initial group of believers at Christ Community said, we're just going to go get this ready because we believe that the people that come into this home are going to see their lives changed by Jesus. And we've seen it to be true. We know people who have lived there. I think about the decision to meet at Southside the decision that said, you know what, we're just going to jump into the school that needs our help the most. And that was where they sent us. And that was where we served. I think about always sending missionaries and, and from the beginning, the heart to, to giving financially to partners, not only here locally, but all around the world. And, and, and then as the Lord has continued to, to birth that desire to sin and to see people changed by Jesus, to send groups of people to start new churches, because research has shown time and time again that the most effective way to reach people is by starting new churches and inviting people into that process. Here's why we need to be reminded of that. Because when we 
serve this community, and when we share Jesus, and when we send missionaries, guess what? It's not safe. It's not safe. It's risky. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. And in our flesh, we want things that are easy. We want things that are safe. We want things that are comfortable. But we need the truth that calls us. We have to hold on to the truth that calls us and invites us to join Jesus in going outside. And if we trust that God has always had a plan to rescue us and to deliver us to safety, then we are willing to follow him into any mess that he calls us into. Because you'll see that he is faithful to his plan and his promise. So let's keep going outside, church. Let's keep taking risks. Let's keep being unsafe as we join Jesus. I think Paul knew that that was going to shake things up a little bit, and so he finishes chapter 2 with another encouraging prayer. He writes, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. I mean, outside of just being uber encouraging, I'm, I'm reading this verse and reading this verse this week and thinking about it, reading it again and again. Look, what, like, this is awesome, Lord, but what are we supposed to say about it? And I didn't notice this until just, just a couple days ago. Here you have this chapter, right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that we sat in for a couple weeks and, and it describes the wrath of God. It, it describes this warrior Jesus who will come back and, and destroy the lawless one in battle for us. It describes this valiant rescuer. And then Paul closes the chapter so personally. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, our Father. You see, God has always had a plan to rescue you and deliver you to safety. I don't know about you, but when you were young, or maybe you've done this with your kids, you always tell your kids, if you're lost, do what? Stay right where you are. I'll come and find you. And that's the tone that Paul writes at the end. Listen, God, our Father, he has loved us. He's given us eternal encouragement and good hope. He is coming for us. He has a plan. Your dad, your father in heaven, has always had a plan to rescue you and to deliver you to safety. And he sent your brother, his son, that whoever believes in him, the truth, will not die, but will have everlasting life in a place that is safe and secure and stable forever. That dad, that father, God himself will encourage you with that grace, and strengthen you as you stand firm in that truth. The band's going to come and lead us as we respond and reminds us that we are no longer slaves to fear. We are God's children. He is our Father. Today, as they lead us and, and as we respond to the gospel, if you've never admitted that you are a sinner in need of God's saving grace, we want to invite you to make that decision this morning. Kenny and Katie will be in the back. They would love to, to share and, and speak the truth over your sin, that, that Christ died for you at just the right time. If you're a baptized believer in Jesus, and, and you've already admitted that, and you know the grace that you have, we invite you to be encouraged and to be strengthened by the Lord's Supper this morning. Matthew 26, we read Jesus' words about this supper. He says this, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. 
And then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And in that, he rescued us. If you're a baptized believer in Christ this morning, we invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us. You can go around the outside and pick up the cup and the juice uh, and, and remember and celebrate that Jesus has rescued you. And he has a plan for your life. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond together. Jesus, thank you for coming, for dying, for, for de- defeating death, for coming back again. Lord, you know the condition of the soul of every person in here. You know the hairs on their head. And before time began, you made the decision to die on a cross to forgive us of our sins. And so, Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts today, that you help us to admit our need for grace and to recognize the grace that you've given to us in death and in life. Lord, send your spirit. Spirit, we pray that you would lead us, that you would lead us to respond just as you would have us to. Not to how we feel, not to what's comfortable, but that we would respond to the truth. Truth about who we are and who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.